Father God, we give you thanks for this day that you have made. Lord, we also thank you for your word that is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And through it, you promise to always achieve your plans and purposes. So, Father, as we look at the significance of your word in worship today, Lord, we pray that you would guide us by your spirit. Um, and Lord, that you would continue to build us up in Christ through your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so if you're following in um, the book, I know not everyone has it, unfortunately, and the <laughs> bookshop's out of stock. So um, for those who have it, we'll, on chapter 10, so that's page 107, um, and just to situate us so far in this journey on worship, uh, last week Alex looked at the confession of sins as a part of the worship service, looking specifically at the significance of the law and the gospel, the law convicting us of our sins, pointing us to Christ, the gospel assuring us of what God has already done for us through Christ. And this morning now we're going to move to the preaching of God's word as, a, as worship and it really as the, what do you say, the, the high point of, of worship. Now, Perhaps that would seem a, a peculiar statement to say for if you've if you from um, yeah come from another church tradition and um, perhaps the preaching in, in the churches that you have been exposed to before it's more in, on along the lines of a motivational talk um, a self help talk or some kind of Christianized uh, pop. Psychology and a bit of a scattering of scripture here and there to kind of make it vaguely Christian, but it, it's quite sermons these days tend to be quite light. Um, and the heart of these talks tend to be more, if you think about it, more, more uh, law. Okay, they're usually about things that you've got to do, how to become a better person, how to improve your time management, how to improve your marriage, how to get the, the most out of uh, your day, doing the seven spiritual steps um, for, for, for whatever. And um, often the churches these days are not, don't even want to call a sermon a sermon. Instead, it's called the talk, okay, or the, <laughs> the preach. Um, and typically, the these talks of quite short, 15 to 20 minutes, kind of the max. And typically the, the preacher tries to, to make it um, entertaining. Okay, there's perhaps a skit involved or they would incorporate movie clips um, or use uh, jokes or show some works of art or use sound and light. And... Whereas the, the assumption of all this, of using all these aids within the, the talk, is that, well, you know what, this, this is actually, the Bible's quite boring. And so we've got we've to zhuzh it up a bit. We've got to make it a bit more interesting and appealing to, to the culture. Um, so I know I'm making sweeping generalizations here, but generalizations are generally true. And this is kind of the flavor of 
the, well, the, the kind of the level of a lot of preaching in our context, unfortunately. But if we really knew what was happening when the Bible is truly and faithfully preached, we would see things very, very differently. So the question is, well, what is happening in a sermon? And I like what Jonathan says in his book, and his quote here is that, basically what's happening in the sermon is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus speaks through his ordained servant, saving sinners by the spoken word to the glory of God. So essentially what he's saying is that when God's word is faithfully preached, God himself is speaking to us. Jesus is speaking to us loud and clear. Now, if that's the case, and what I'm going to demonstrate to you that from the scripture that I believe that we believe that that is indeed the case. If that is the case, then why on earth would you want to limit God speaking to us for 15 to, to 20 minutes and add in a whole lot of non-essentials that, that actually detract from his word? Surely you would do anything to hear the Lord himself speak and you want to give all your attention and focus to your king and your Lord who has come down and condescended from heaven into our presence and speaks directly to you. Now, surely, maybe that sounds a bit uh, too miraculous, but actually this is what is going on every time God's word is faithfully preached. That the preaching of God's word sets apart God's people for himself. So in the sermon, God speaks to us by the power of the Holy Spirit and he calls people out of their sin and into salvation through Christ alone. So let's turn to, to the Bible to see evidence for, for these incredible claims about preaching. And so if we... First place to look is, is the apostolic era where the apostles were you know, having been um, empowered by the Spirit at Pentecost. God sent them out to the whole world to start preaching the gospel and planting churches. And so we see plenty of evidence here that the church believed, the apostolic church believed that when the apostles preached, the voice of Christ was heard. So example of this is Ephesians 2, 17, which says, he, Christ came and preached peace to you. So you may be thinking, okay, so, so what? Well, actually, there's something very profound in that statement is that how was it possible for Jesus to preach at the church of Ephesus? Did he go there in his earthly ministry? Okay, Ephesus is in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. No, we know he didn't. So how was it possible for Jesus himself to have preached in Ephesus? 
Well, the only way that that was possible was that because when the apostles preached God's word in Ephesus, it was Christ himself who was speaking to them. Okay, so look at another example, Romans 10, 14. It says, and how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Okay, now in the English, it's, it's added there, how, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? In the Greek, there's no of there. Okay, it's not a genitive. Um, so the implication is, is, how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Okay, so it's basically, there's the, it equates the voice of the preachers with the voice of Jesus. Now, that's an extremely bold claim. But that, this is the claim that the Bible itself makes. That when Christ's word is faithfully preached, insofar as it is faithfully preached, it is God speaking to us. And that's why the, we have to look at... Um, the historic confessions of the church, for example, the Second Helvetic Confession, which is the confession of the Swiss Reformed churches in 1562, it says, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. So we must just be clear here. It's, this is true not because of anything within the preacher himself. Okay, the, the preacher is a fallible man, he makes mistakes. It is not anything special about the preacher. Okay? The, the authority and the power of the sermon doesn't lie within the preacher. Instead, where does the preacher's, where does the authority of the sermon derive from? The Bible, which is the word of God. That's it. Yeah, the the, the word. Okay, because it's it's God's word. So insofar as the preacher preaches God's word and doesn't deviate all over the place, that is the word of God. So any any questions regarding this? Because if we understand the implication, we understand the gravity of this. It has massive implications. It's a huge responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Fallen asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, nobody's sitting on the edge of the window sill here. You're all safely. 
Okay, so let's just look at some implications here. Okay, that the, so far as the preacher preaches the word of God, the sermon is God's word. And so this is exactly why then that the job of the preacher is not to preach about himself. It's not to preach about his good ideas, his political views, his hot takes on culture. None of that. Instead, the preacher is bound to be incredibly unoriginal, actually, and preach only what's in here. Expound the text, preach God's word, not his own word, to faithfully divide the word of truth, as 2 Timothy 2.15 says. And so it's this conviction that drives us here at Covenant Waterfall to preach expository sermons. In other words, to preach sermons that are rooted in the text. That's why we go through whole books at a time, not skipping out verses that we think are politically incorrect or whatever. We want to be faithful in preaching the word of God. So why? What else drives this motivation to be faithful to the preaching of God's word? Well, very importantly, we believe that God really does something in our hearts, in the congregation, when his word is faithfully preached. Okay, God promises to build and grow his church through his word. And if you think about it, well, that's the very nature of the word of God. That the, it, it creates something out of nothing. I mean, think about it in the creation. Okay, God spoke the universe into being through his word, Genesis 1 verse 3. It, through God's word, the whole, all of what we see around us was brought into life, brought into being. We also see from Isaiah 55, 11, the word of God is effectual. It always accomplishes God's sovereign purposes. It never God's word never returns void. He's always faithful to keeping his promises. Okay, God's word, Psalm 29, 5 to 9, it, it creates and it destroys. Okay, the word of God is also living and active, as Hebrews 4 verse 12 tells us. And 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, the word of God is at work in you believers. So it's because of this living and effectual nature of God's word that it is through the word of God that God's church is built and grown. Okay, the best church growth strategy, yeah, contrary to, to the pragmatic means, is not to give free pizza or whatever at the church or whatever else and do is to faithfully preach the word of God. That's the church growth strategy we see in, in, in the scriptures. And you see this nowhere more vividly than reading through the book of Acts. I mean, it's from beginning to end. It's the main, one of the main themes of the book of Acts that God's word was preached and the church is established and grown and God added to their number throughout the whole world. I'm just going to give you a couple of texts here because it's, 
there's stacks of them, but just a handful. So Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So God's word was preached and God added to their number. Acts 4, verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Acts 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Acts 13, 48 to 49. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So we see this pattern in the book of Acts. Is that God in his sovereignty, by the preaching of his word, in the power of the spirit, draws sinners to himself. Convicts them, forgives them, regenerates them, gathers them into a community of, of saints and continues in that community of saints in the church to grow them and strengthen them by his grace. So this is exactly why the, the Westminster Logic Catechism, question answer 155, says the following. How is the word made effectual to salvation? Answer, the Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? We are in our sinful nature. We so turn in on ourselves, and the Word draws us out of ourselves and draws us to Christ. So driving them out of themselves and drawing them to Christ, of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. So we see here is that God by his spirit especially uses the preaching of, of the word in the church as the primary way in which people are convicted of their sins, drawn to Christ, sanctified by the Spirit, strengthened and encouraged in their faith. And it's through the preaching of the word of God and only by the preaching of the word of God that sinners are awakened by faith to Christ. The dead are raised to life, that the church of God is grown. It's not by any of our gimmicks or, or techniques or um, you know, any other things we can think will do this. There's only one thing that God has ordained to bring sinners to repentance and to build his church, and that's the preached word of God, because in it contains the promise of salvation. That's why Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing. And hearing what? The word of Christ. It's as clear as daylight. And the incredible thing is that this miracle happens every Lord's Day. 
when the word of God is faithfully preached in the church. That the dead come to life. That sinners, weary sinners, are transformed and revived by the power of the Spirit. Okay, Ephesians 6.17 says, The word of God is the sword of the Spirit. That saints are built up in their faith. And there's a supernatural working of God's Spirit through the preaching of God's word. So we've got these promises here that every time the word of God is being faithfully preached, we can know with certainty that God is working among us by the power of his spirit. The word and the spirit work together. There's no, we must not see them as as, um, in opposition to each other. The word and the spirit will always um, work to achieve God's purposes together. That's why. Um, Ephesians 6, 17 calls the word of God, the sword of the spirit. So what then is the, the nature of what is preached? Is it just some good advice, some good ideas, some spiritually sounding things, some, some pop psychology? No. Okay, when the the Bible is faithfully preached, the gospel is faithfully preached, and the gospel is good news for sinners. And the gospel is that Christ died for sinners, that he was buried, that he arose again on the third day, and he forgives sinners. He grants eternal life to those who, who believe in Christ. And that's exactly why biblically faithful preaching is always going to be rooted in the gospel. You're always going to hear the gospel. If a a text is faithfully expounded, no matter where it's from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you're going to hear the gospel through it. And um, because it's the gospel that is life-giving in itself. And that's why, to finish off, Romans 1.16, the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Any questions? Wonderful. Well, let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for your word that is living and active, that is firmly fixed in the heavens, that is eternal and will endure forever, and that feeds us and strengthens us in our faith in Christ. And thank you for the privilege of um, being able to come and worship you this morning and um, in the worship service, being able to to hear you loud and clear. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts as we come expectant before your throne to to, to hear your word, to to be built up in our faith, to to be convicted of our sins, and to be increasingly um, sanctified according to your Son, Jesus Christ. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.